Well, we are in this series again. We're in our last week, Resolutions. What does it mean for us to be the light of the world, the city on a hill? What does it look like for us? And we've been talking about all kinds of cool stuff, what it looks like for us to be a city on a hill. The idea that we as Christians are the plumb line to humanity. God created us in the garden to represent him from the very beginning. And here we are thousands of years later and the job has not changed. You and I have been called to be the guide, the directors back to the Father back to Christ, back to God. And so we've been looking at all those things. We've been looking at how we have to know our identity and we have to stand for truth and we must fear God and not men. We must be bold leaders pointing people to Christ. Last week we talked about what it means to have relationship and how the relationship of the church is the model relationship for all of humanity what it should look like. And we talked about how we have fallen short in so many ways in this relationship. And those relationships of how we have a relationship with God and how we have a relationship with other Christians is poured out into how we have relationships with our families and how we have relationships with our coworkers. But today we're gonna talk about the final thing. The final idea that we're gonna be talking about again throughout this year, because we're gonna be addressing all of these issues in series throughout this year. And this last one we're going to look at is this, the final declaration. A city on a hill embraces the cost because it has and knows and keeps the end in mind. I want you just to think of that phrase. That's the one thought I want you to remember. Christians, believers, a city on a hill, those who are the light of the world embrace the cost because they never forget that the end is coming. They never or they never take out the end from their minds. And so I want you to be thinking about that. Now, when we think about counting costs, we can all think of some funny stories where we uh, didn't count the cost, or maybe we counted the cost and realized it's a lot of work. I promise you, these candidates, they're probably right now thinking, what did I sign up for? Like, did I really in my mind count the cost of what this looks like? I mean, this count, this cost is immense. I mean, we've got to count the cost when it comes to running for office, but oftentimes, did you count the cost before you had a kid? Don't answer that out loud with the children present. Probably the answer was uh, no. Some of you guys were planners. I understand that. You, some of you guys are amazing. Like we're on a five-year plan and then it's the seven-year and we got it all scheduled out. And it, for me, it was all accidents. I'm just being honest. I mean, I didn't lie to you. Matter of fact, my wife's like, how did that happen? Right? I mean, when we don't count the cost, all of a sudden we're realizing we are over our heads. We got to figure something out. We got to think, what does it mean to count the cost? What is, I mean, what does it really mean for us? When we talk about city on a hill, when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, do we really think count the cost? Do we really consider that? Do we understand that? So what is the cost? What is the cost for us? And what is it expected? What is expected of the city on a hill to embrace this cost? I mean, I want you to think about that for a second because some of you are thinking, cost? What? I thought we just prayed a prayer and Jesus gave us this free gift called eternal life and we just believe in him and we're good. Some of you are thinking, man, I, I, I was really thinking that all I had to do was put my faith in him and that was it. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. But there was so much more than that. I mean, I thought being a Christ follower was, was free. 
I thought God was all about love, and love means I can do whatever I want. I just, I just be, I'm just forgiven because his grace is so amazing, and it is. Some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, as soon as you said cost, I thought you were going to start asking for money. <laughs> and we're not, we're not talking about money. God doesn't need your money. God, God is not about your possessions per se. God is about your heart and who you are. So what in the world am I saying? What I'm saying today is that everything that's worth anything costs us something. Everything that's worth anything costs us something. In America today, freedom was not free. Everything in America today that's great about who America is costs someone their lives, someone something. And unfortunately today, we think there is no cost. We think we can discount these costs that have happened. These words we think about, when I think about our culture today, and I, I think about words that are costly. Let, let's just talk about a few of them. I think about this, work, things that cost, work, devotion, sacrifice, effort, commitment, integrity, honor. These kind of words are words that cost us. As men and as women, as kids, when we think about this, these words cost us, but what is the culture? What is the world saying about some of these things? I'm witnessing it right before my very eyes, and it blows my mind. Work is being replaced with idleness. I mean, come on. You don't have to work. You don't have to work hard. All you got to do is show up. And if you just show up, you get an attaboy, and everybody wins a trophy, and you're all good. It's just sad because that's not the cost of work. How about devotion is replaced with contempt? Sacrifice is replaced with borrowing. I mean, we are so far in debt as a country, we wonder why we have inflation. I mean, inflation is because we waste money. You understand what I'm saying? We waste money. We find ourselves not counting the cost. We're unwilling to sacrifice. Nobody today wants to sacrifice. Sacrificing is what is required. Commitment is replaced with indifference. Effort replaced with procrastination. Integrity replaced with dishonesty. Honor replaced with corruption. Somehow we see in our society how corruption is, is rewarded. You can say what you want, you can do what you want, and somehow everything works out for you. But that's the world. What is the, what's the story about the city on a hill? What is it? What have we been called to embrace? What is it about the Christian that makes them different? What makes them the city on a hill? I mean, what makes them so special? Why is it so incredible that we understand the cost and we count the cost and we think about the cost? You see, Jesus made it very clear that this faith, this belief in him was going to require something. Although it is free and that Christ paid the penalty for our sin and, and we can be forgiven if we will put our faith and trust in him, there's no doubt. He also said this, but because of that faith, because of that decision, you will count the cost. You must count the cost. You must understand there is a cost. And what was the cost for him? It was his entire life. He counted the cost when he came to earth to die for you and me. He counted the cost. He understood it very clear. If you have your Bibles, let's tune to turn to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to spend our, uh, quite a bit of time in Luke today. But I want to ask you the question, what is this cost? What does it look like? Because to be honest with you, it sounds a little radical. Let's start in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, and we're going to read several passages as we go through this idea of counting the cost. This is Jesus, by the way, speaking. He says this, now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus. And he turned and he said unto them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, 
wife, child, brother, sister. And then he says this, yes, even his own life, he cannot be in my disciples. We talked a little bit about this about last week when it came to our relationships and how our relationships with believers was more valuable than our relationships, our physical relationships here on earth. Man, that sounds hard. And then he continues and says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me is not worthy of me. It cannot be my disciple. I mean, I really, this cost? Pastor Ron, are you serious? Do you hear yourself talking? This cost is my family. This cost is my life. This cost is essentially anything that would get in the way of me being fully devoted to Jesus. I mean, that just seems a little ridiculous. I mean, I mean, certainly Jesus understands, right? I mean, come on, it can't possibly be the case. I mean, you, Jesus cannot be serious. You had to read something wrong. Well, well, let's go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 28 and notice what he says. He says this, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Count the cost. Count the cost. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who be, uh, see will be, begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Can I tell you something today? Church family in the house today? The world mocks us when our faith does not measure up to our belief or the word of God. When we say we believe and we say we're followers of Jesus and yet we go out and we look just like the world. Church, the world is mocking us. Pastors who fail. Members who live act they want to live. This idea of counting the cost means something. And he says, listen, you've got to count the cost. You've got to understand it. Otherwise, the world will mock you. I promise you, if you run for office today and you don't put a team together, and you're not interested in knocking on doors, and you don't encourage people to vote for you, I guarantee you the world will go on, what a joke, amen? But if you decide you're gonna run for office and you're all in and you're doing everything in your power to try to get elected, I promise you the world, even if you lose, will say, man, they really fought a good fight. They worked hard. This is the problem with Christians today. Now notice this, this is interesting since we're facing Ukraine. Notice what's next example in verse 31. Or what king going out to encounter another king and war will not sit down first and deliberate? Whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or 120,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. You see, counting the cost means that we observe what's around us and we pay attention to our lives and we say, what's at stake here and how much am I willing to pay? How will I protect myself? But Jesus doesn't end there when he says, says those two worldly examples about building a building and going to war. All of a sudden he says this in verse 33 and he says this, and so therefore, I want you to grasp this. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whew. That cannot be true. Man, that is crazy talk. Some of you guys are thinking right now, I am at battle with my mind. You mean I have to renounce all and follow Jesus? I've got to be all in and follow Jesus? What in the world is Jesus thinking of me? I'm not that super. I'm not that special. There's no way I can do that. 
And I want you to know something that's called sanctification. None of us are there right now. We are all working towards what this means. I know because I've been there. I have struggled with this and what it looks like to renounce all. I have given my life to Christ and yet I find myself battling my flesh to do the things that I want to do, knowing that God has called all of me to be all in, a follower of Jesus. Many of you are thinking, well, I didn't sign up for that. Was Jesus really serious? I mean, Pastor Ron, can we come on? There's got to be some other verses that will go the other direction. Well, let's just keep reading. Let's jump back up to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, just to make sure that Jesus is clear here. What does he say? And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, not just one time, by the way, uh, church Christian in the room, when you got saved, that wasn't the end of the battle. When you said, I'm going to give my life to you, Jesus, I want, I want to receive you, that's not where the battle ended. No, it says daily, daily, take up your cross daily and follow me. One time is not what God is asking for. God's asking for your whole life. For whosoever shall save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses it or forfeits himself? For whosoever is ashamed, notice this, whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Jesus equates us as believers in Christ. Our commitment and devotion to him as denying him when we don't. When you walk out of this church and you do not represent him as the city on a hill, when you find yourself unwilling to share, when I find myself unwilling to talk, unwilling to stand for God, when I find myself here, I am living a life ashamed of the gospel. How dare me? How dare us? And yet, we've allowed ourselves to. And the world, again, is mocking us, saying, is your faith real? Do you really believe what you say is really real? Is it something that's a part of you? And let me tell you something. It's not just lip surface. We just don't go out of these walls and pre pretend with our words that we're followers of Jesus. It's not just what we say. It's in how we live in every facet of who we are. Notice verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. It says this, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, listen, when you follow me, you give up everything. And another said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first, let me bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you think soul winning is important to Jesus? Absolutely. Proclaim the truth. Proclaim the truth at any cost. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. No one who looks back at the old life and says, I, I've got to go back there is fit for the kingdom. We are to be looking forward. That's why we are a city on a hill. We are looking up. We look up. We don't look back. We don't look aside. We look up. God is our king. 
We don't get muddled in the cares of this world. We find ourselves not getting sidetracked by the pursuits of worldly prosperity, but we stay focused on our calling as the light of the world, as this city on a hill. Man, I think in my mind, whoa, you might be thinking, man, this, this cost, Pastor Ron, I know that's in the Bible, but I don't think that's true. I think if we just, you know, if we just live a good life, if we just do some good things, if we just obey the Bible the best we can, we're all going to be good. And, and you know what? Sounds really great. And I, by the way, righteous living, I promise you it is rewarding. And I want everyone to try to live a righteous life. But the Christian faith is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to read this story about the rich young ruler and what it means to have eternal life. Again, what are we talking about? The cost. Do you and I embrace the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Are we world changers? Are we committed to transforming Alaska with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we fundamentally committed to changing Anchorage for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we fundamentally uh, involved in included and encouraging the world to transform themselves to Christ? Notice Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. We all, some of you are familiar with the story. And behold, a man came to him and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You see, all the good deeds we do just seem like they justify us in our life, but we're going to find out that's not the case. What's the cost, basically, is what the man is saying. What, is, what do I have to pay? What's my payment? What do I have to do? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. That's Christ Jesus, God the Father, as well. If you would enter eternal life, you must keep his commandments. Jesus makes this statement. Okay, let's play this game. Hey, uh, to make eternal life, you got to keep the commandments. Now, that sounds like works at first, but the reality is it's so much more for that. He says, and he said unto him, which ones? I like how this young ruler says, you know, I, I, I hear you. I should follow these rules. I'm Jewish in my background. I know all these Ten Commandments. I know all these rules that I'm supposed to follow. But, you know, there's got to be just a few that I've got to do. Hey, isn't that just like us at church? Like, we really don't want to do the ones we really don't want to do. We want to make sure to find out if they, we get credit for the ones we like to do. I don't know about you, but when it comes to generosity, I like that one. Sign me up. If I could just be generous and go to heaven, I'd be like, thumbs up. Hey, but, but that part about dying to self and, you know, watching my mouth, I don't like that one at all. That one's out. Right? I mean, all of us in the house today, we're, we're, we're thinking in our minds, oh, I, I like these ones, but I don't like those ones. And everybody has a different list. What does it look like? Man. So Jesus, verse 23 says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, sorry, I went too far. Verse 18, and he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Guy's thinking, okay, I'm doing all right here. I, I haven't murdered anybody lately, and I, I haven't cheated on anybody. I'm not, matter of, I don't even know that I'm married yet. Uh, stealing, hmm, I stole a pencil one time. You should not bear false witness. I probably can't, you know, probably lied once or twice. Honor your father and your mother. Mmm, ouch. Okay, I'm working on that one. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. 
Okay, Jesus. You would think the guy would say, hey, time out, Jesus. Uh, that's a little hard. But no, what does he say? Jesus presents this impossible task to do in the flesh. I mean, let's just face it. Impossible task to do in the flesh. And what does the guy say? And the young man said, all these I've kept in my youth. But knowing that he was lying, I guarantee you said, but what else do I lack? Like, I don't like those answers. So give me another one. Do something else, Lord. Just tell me what else I'm lacking. Ah. And Jesus, by the way, not being a smart aleck, Jesus actually having compassion on the man, knowing that he's talking to somebody like you and I who battle the reality that we must renounce and give our whole lives to Jesus. He had compassion on him and he answers him. He says this, and Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, I want you to listen to those words. If you and I would want to be perfect, what does he say to do? He says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Hmm. Pastor had to talk about money. And you will have treasures in heaven. And everybody spends so much time on this part. I want you to know something. You're missing the point if you focus on this part of the story. Because it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or if you have pride or if you have lust or whatever that thing is that's keeping you from giving your full life to Christ, that's your burden to bear. In this story, this man's problem was money. But in your life, it may be something else. The problem is we don't focus on the rest of that verse. And he says this, and come, follow me. What does it mean to have eternal life? Renounce all that you have and come, follow me. Be my disciple. Be my representation to the world. Be a city on a hill. Be involved in everything godly, in everything worldly. Did you get that? Be everything godly in everything worldly. What does that mean when you go to work, when it comes to politics, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your school, when it comes to your life, everywhere you go, your work, your family, whatever that may look like, whatever burden you're bearing, whatever you're unwilling to give up, I would encourage you to understand you must give it to God. I was speaking with somebody this week and we were talking a little bit about what that looked like. We were talking about the difficulty it is to trust God with relationships. And he had a story very similar to mine and it was about losing a loved one, losing his parents when he was younger and just fearing that he didn't wanna go through that pain anymore. And I could identify because I remember being a young man who had lost everybody in his family, you know, his uncle, mom, dad, grandfather, grandmother. I mean, I just remember this feeling like, I don't want anybody to know me. I don't wanna get close to anyone because if they do, they're certainly going to die because everybody who knows me dies. That was my burden to where I was unwilling to represent Christ because I did not want to engage the world and have relationships and have closeness with anybody because of that feeling. You see, it doesn't matter what your story is and where you are, this is what Jesus is asking you. Will you give up everything and follow me? Notice verse 22 says this, and the young man heard this and he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. He had great unforgiveness. He had fill in the blank. What's your story? Where are you at? How do we give our lives to Christ? How many miss heaven because their cost in their minds is too great? What price will you pay to avoid being the city on a hill? What price will you pay to avoid being the light of the world? What is the price you're willing to pay? Hmm. It changes our lives. Verse 23 says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say unto you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard this, they said, they were greatly astonished, saying, then who can be saved? Listen, who can be saved? Who can not forgive their enemy, not forgive their friend and be saved? No one. Who can love possessions more than God and be saved? No one. I don't care what your burden is or what it is. No one can be saved if they are unwilling. And the disciples and everybody in this house is saying, then who can be saved? And then he says this in verse 26. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. With God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. You see, Jesus grants the gift of grace. He grants us forgiveness. He grants us eternal life for those who are willing to lose their life to receive it. The power of this story is incredible as we think about embracing the cost, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him is incredible because it is only possible when we lose our life to gain it. Church, it's time for us to embrace the cost, the cost of being a disciple, the cost to make a difference. Why is the true church will never be defeated in the world. Why is it that the, the world has been trying to shut down God forever? Burning Bibles, saying he doesn't exist, science trying to say there is no God, believing this crazy idea about evolution. Why do they do that? They're doing everything in their power, and you want to know what? It will never happen. Never. Let me tell you it again. It will never happen. Why? Because those who are followers know through the Spirit of God that he is God, and he is on the throne. And they will die for the fact that he is king. Why? Because this life doesn't matter. It's the life to come. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Why is it that we will transform Alaska with the gospel? One life at a time. Why is it that we will make a big deal about following Jesus in every part of our daily lives? Why? Why will we be a city on a hill in our homes? Why will we be a city on a hill in our workplaces, in our government, in our marketplace? Why will we be a city on a hill everywhere we go? Why? Is it just because? No, it's because we serve a risen Lord, God himself. Why is it that we embrace the cost? Why is it we do, uh, I want you to think about this. Why is it that we should do everything short of sin to share the gospel? Let me say that again. Why is it that we should do everything short of sin? Craig Rochelle says that. I think that's a powerful statement. Do you believe that? Will you do whatever it takes short of sin to share the gospel, to defend your freedom, to fight for righteousness, to fight for moral living, to defend America's unborn babies, to stand against tyranny, to stand against those who would say, you can't meet anymore. You can't, you can't talk about your faith in the world and in the workplace. How much will you fight? What will you do? What will you separ separate yourself from and say, I will do so? Why is it that we do this? It's a great question for you to think about. Why is it that we do this? Why do we come here today? Well, it's because it's the second part of the question I want you to understand. 
because we never forget to keep the end in mind. Church, if we do all these things and there's just no existence, in other words, we give our lives to God and then it's just dead over. If that's the end of the story and that's all that happens, then you are wasting your time. Stop going to church. Stop believing the Bible. Stop being a follower of Christ. Stop standing for anything. If you're not considering the end in mind, you're missing the entire point. What does it mean, this end in mind? Notice how Peter interrupts Jesus when he's making this comment in chapter 19 we were just talking about. And look at verse 27. Notice what he says. And Peter said to him, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. Woo. Remember the story? Jesus is walking down the beach and says, hey, you two, uh, come follow me. And they dropped everything and came and followed him for three years. So Peter's saying, listen, we, we've done that. We have dropped everything. What then will we have? What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say unto you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit in 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he's speaking specifically to his disciples at this point. And then he says this to you and I, and everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, or mothers, or children's, or land for my sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You see, we don't give up something because God's just gonna give us nothing in return. God is saying, I am so important. I am the God of the universe. I have the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to eternal life, and I promise you, you will not be unrewarded. But even if we were not rewarded, even if it was not true, I want you to know something. Because God is creator and we are not, we are, should still worship him in every way that we can. I want you to think about this, he says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, most of us in America don't understand that today. What does it mean for us to be last? For the last to be first and the first to be last. I mean, come on. Don't you understand democracy and capitalism? I mean, it's all about power and strength and money and power. And you go. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're missing it. None of that matters to me. I want you to know that you have to take care of the least of these. When we embrace the cost of losing a family member with Jesus Christ, understand he grants us a greater family, a Christian family. We talked about that last week. When we lose our homes and following Jesus, he provides a greater home. He's creating a, a building, a mansion for us in heaven. Eternity is based on this story. When we give up our lives, he grants us the abundant life. To be followers and in a relationship with God, the creator. What an incredible story. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Why does the world, listen to me, why does the world not believe that we live the abundant life? Because we don't count the cost and live like it. We act completely different. But the truth is this, we do have the abundant life. And by the way, it is not money and wealth. It is peace with God, the creator of the universe. This is the love that we have. This is what we know. Man, when the cost is persecution, suffering, or even death, we will stand firm and receive, by the way, the crown of life. Notice James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Oh, my fellow Christian, when the cost is standing for righteousness, we will receive the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will reward me on that day. And not only me, but also those who have love his appearing, all of us who love looking up and expecting and looking forward to him coming again. Why? Why is it that we count this cost? When we count the cost of self-discipline, resisting sin, we receive a victor's crown. A victor's crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says this, do, not, do you not know that the race and a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you shall obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown, one that lasts forever. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Why is it that we stand for righteousness? Why is it that we defend the faith? Why is it that we live a certain way? Because we desire to have the victor's crown. Otherwise, we are wasting our time. What good does it do for me to preach to you today and go out and throw my faith out the door when I walk out these walls? What good is that for me? Paul says this doesn't do him any good. Therefore, he will not do it. When we count the cost, that it's whatever it takes to share the gospel, and again, that's why I love this, this, uh, this ministry we're starting called out. Listen, what does it mean for us when the price is sharing the gospel? When you're so afraid to share the gospel because you might lose your job or, or whatever it might be, you might lose a friend. I'm telling you, the cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says this. For what is our hope, this is Paul speaking, or our joy or our crown of rejoicing that we're going to receive? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory. Who is he talking to? You who we have shared the gospel with, who have gotten saved are our glory. You are our crown of righteousness. Oh, church, do you have love and joy and glory for sharing the gospel? When the cost is protecting the flock, and I want to talk to pastors for just a minute. If you're watching my television or internet, or you know a pastor, this is really powerful for you to understand. Pastors in the house today, my pastors, the pastors that work at this church, our pastors. When the cost is protecting the flock, being an example, standing in the gap, taking the first insult of words or slander, pastors hold firm. Pastors in the house hold firm. Pastors watching hold firm. Pastors, stop being cowards. Why? Why is that? Because we receive the crown of glory. And I would beg every one of you who preach the word, teach the word, and tell others about the world, you'll receive this crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 1 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed, this Jesus Christ who is going to be coming. Shepherds of the flock of God, that is among you, exercise oversight, not under compulsion. Don't be about money. Don't be about persuasion. Be about Christ. But willingly, as God would have you, 
not for the shameful gain of anything, not domineering over those in charge. My job as a pastor is not to be domineering over you. I am one of you. I am equal with you, but being examples to the flock. And notice what he says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. Church, are you embracing the cost, number one? And number two, have you forgotten why? Have you forgotten why it's so important for us to make a difference in this world, to represent our King, to praise Him with all power, to engage in our community, what it means to love one another? Church, have we stopped embracing our cost? Are we at risk in losing our crown? Is it possible that the church is dying because we are not standing for what is true? Are we failing to keep the end of mind? I wanna ask you, if that's you today, are you willing to repent? Or will you be the rich young ruler and walk out of these walls unwilling to give up your life? Listen, governments come and go, but there is one God who will always be. He's Yahweh. His son is Jesus. He is three in one. He is the reason we live. He's our creator. He's why you have breath. He's why you have purpose. He's why you have community. It's why things in this world exist. Will you understand this? For us as a church on the corner of Northern Lights and Baxter to be a city on a hill, we must be a church who counts the cost, embraces it, and never forgets the end and always keeps it in mind.